know that um, for your church here, your heart must be so heavy for, for Gigi and Drew um, right now. And, and um, I just pray that while I'm sure your minds are distracted with that, that the Lord's word will be a blessing to you in the midst of that heaviness. Um, uh, Gigi was uh, one of our girls' first basketball coaches, and we love that family. Mr. Mr. Rich uh, was the king of cheerleading um, at our at our tournaments, and so and we, we love that family and are praying for them and, and all that they're that they're going through. And let me also just say thank you all for the prayers. I've gotten several messages that you've been praying for the uh, preaching this weekend and the meeting, and so I pray that God will answer those prayers and edify your soul through the Word. And also just want to say thank you to the church here for your encouragement and support of the work in Nicaragua, the gift that you gave for the last trip, and just the um, uh, just continual interest and appreciation for that work. Uh, just thank the Lord for that, and um, you can pray for them right now. They're right in the midst of the crosshairs of Tropical Storm Bonnie that's about to just slam them, and they've already gotten flooded by one a couple of weeks ago. The, the house where the church meets got flooded. And um, so they've already taken out a bunch of stuff in preparation for this storm. So just please pray the Lord will take care of them um, during, during all this time. Um, so let's turn to the Gospel of Luke. I've been preaching through this Gospel at uh, Collierville, and so I want to bring um, a message tonight and maybe one tomorrow as well uh, from this wonderful book. And if I could, I'd like to bow in prayer uh, one more time. Father, as we open up your word, we just uh, we want to worship you. I want to worship you as I preach, depending on your power and having confidence in your word. And I pray the congregation will be blessed to worship you in the preaching by hearing and receiving with a, a ready heart. And Father, all that we are powerless to do without your spirit, but we have confidence that you hear. So we ask you for Jesus' sake to bless us to, to worship you now through the preaching and hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The Gospel of Luke. So tonight I want to preach um, kind of a, a message that is a theme um, through the Gospel of Luke. One of the threads or themes of the Gospel of Luke, there's several, and that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. So in a world that we live in that is full of um, evil rulers and leaders, full of corrupt um, governors and politicians and presidents and dictators, Luke tells us about a perfect king. Isn't that encouraging? He tells us about a perfect king. And in a world where nations are at war and where economies shake and, and totter, Luke tells us about a kingdom that has eternal staying power, a kingdom that will never, ever, ever fail, a kingdom whose resources will never go bankrupt, but a kingdom that will, will last. It, 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 this, the kingdom of Christ, this kingdom of God that Luke's gospel tells us about is a kingdom that has unsurpassed value. Jesus says you should, you should sacrifice everything for this kingdom. Everything for this kingdom. And Luke's gospel tells us that this kingdom uh, will conquer all of its enemies. All of its enemies throughout all the centuries and all the ages of time. This kingdom will last and this kingdom has more value than any other kingdom, and this kingdom has a perfect king, and that the citizens of the kingdom should give the king preeminence over everything and should be willing to sacrifice everything for this kingdom. Now, I could just make that up, right? And that would be dramatic sounding. But these are the very words of the holy word of God. 
And so in a world that's shaky, right, in a world that's full of, of chaos, it's good for us um, as believers to be recentered and refocused upon the kingdom of God. So let's look at a couple of passages of Scripture, and let's start in the first chapter of Luke's Gospel, when the angel, you know the story well, when the angel comes to Mary and tells her about this highly unusual birth that she will uh, have, and, Mar- and the angel's words to Mary speak of this king. So in Luke 1, verse 30, I'll just break right into the middle of the story. It says, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So the angel hearkens back to David, right? We remember David's great uh, rule and reign in Israel. David was was, um, was a, a wonderful king in so many respects. Uh, David led the people to worship God. David defeated the enemies of God. In fact, before David was even officially the king, he took out the giant Goliath. And so David was a king of victory. He was a king of triumph. He was a king of power. He was a king who overcame the enemies of Israel. Well, he also was a king who loved God. He was a king who worshipped God and led the people in worship God. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel. And so David, everyone knew that David was a great king. All throughout even the history of, God, of Israel, they would remember the, David as the king. But God had made a promise to David. He'd made a covenant to David. said, David, from your lineage, down your great, 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 something great grandson is going to sit on your throne. And he's going to be a king that will even be greater than you, essentially, is what God said. And that's what the angel hearkened, that's what he's referring to here in this passage of Scripture. So we think of Jesus as the king. And you say, well, I don't remember a passage in Luke or any of the other Gospels where Jesus actually sat down in Jerusalem on David's throne. So what is with this prophecy? Well, we get a hint here and a hint throughout the New Testament, and really the Old in some ways, that this kingdom of the son of David would be like David's kingdom and yet different from David's kingdom. It would be like David's kingdom in that Jesus would defeat all the enemies of God's people, praise the Lord, uh, including death, 1 Corinthians 15. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in that context over death through our king, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who's the son of David. But it would be, and, and David's kingdom was, was over it had geographical boundaries. It was over a particular ethnic group of people. Um, it was not over, over all of the world, but specific boundaries to this kingdom. So geographical boundaries, ethnic boundaries to this kingdom of David. But Jesus' kingdom is different. Jesus' kingdom is not political. Jesus' kingdom doesn't have a map where you can look at it and say, well, here's where it starts, and then here's where the boundary ends. Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom of grace and salvation within the hearts of those who he conquers. Now, we need to differentiate this biblically because in one sense, God and Jesus is king over everything and everybody. Psalm 103 says that. He has prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So in one sense, Jesus rules over 
the person that hates him the worst. Jesus holds their breath um, in his very hands. But this kingdom the angel is talking about, and so much of the kingdom that Luke refers to throughout this gospel, is a spiritual reign of grace. That it goes beyond geographical boundaries. It goes beyond ethnic boundaries. And it's a kingdom where Jesus establishes his reign and rule in the hearts of people from all kind of different backgrounds, from all kind of different nationalities. But the one common thing is this, is that Jesus conquers them by his grace. Colossians 1.13 tells us in that exaltation of the work of Christ, it tells us that God has delivered us from the power of darkness. And he has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, there are only two realms in one sense in this world. Either you're in the kingdom of darkness or you're in the kingdom of God's dear son, Jesus. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, it's a terrible thing to be ruled over by the enemy. It's a terrible thing to be in the kingdom of darkness. But for all of us as believers, that's where we were at one point. Whether, whether we, whether we um, you know, had horns or not, we all, we all were living under the dominion of Satan as he led us to just indulge in our own sinful desires. But in the mercy of God and the grace of God, this King Jesus, he conquers hearts and he draws people to be ruled by him. And it's such a wonderful thing, you know. Nobody who's brought into the kingdom of Jesus regrets it. Nobody says, man, I wish he hadn't conquered me. You know Psalm 110, verse 3, which is a, a king messianic prophecy about Jesus' kingdom. You know the words where he says, your people, speaking to Jesus, will be willing in the day of your power. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Listen, there are people in Nicaragua and probably some of the places in Africa where Brother Nathan will go that they don't like the people they're ruled by. You might say that today. You don't like the people that rule over you. They're not, they're not righteous. They're not just. They're not good. But is there anyone better to rule over our hearts than Jesus? You see, we look at David and we see David had so many things we admire. He, he, he killed Goliath. David was dedicated to God. David was submissive to God's will throughout many of his sufferings. But we see even David was a good king, and even he blew it in so many ways. There were sometimes David didn't trust God. There were times when David indulged his own sinful lusts, willingly crossing over God's line and, and sinning against God. David's own actions brought harm to his own people. And so in so many ways about David we admire, and yet we say, but... But he's not the one, the one, right? But Jesus is the one. He's, he's the ultimate David, the greater David, the true David, the one who rules over the hearts of his people. Can you imagine a better king? Is there anyone wiser than Jesus? Is there anyone more gracious than Jesus? Is there anyone more loving than Jesus? Is there anyone more good than Jesus? You know, when the kings even started in Israel, the first one was Saul, as you'll remember, and the people wanted a king so they could be like the other nations. And essentially what they were doing was they were saying, God, we don't really like your rule over us. And so he said, I'll give you Saul. And Saul looked great on the outside, and he did well for a little while, but then Saul proved his true colors that he wasn't a good king to rule over us. And you look throughout the history of Israel, and you find kings like Ahab, 
who would lead the people into idolatry. You find um, kings like, even a good king, like, like um, Uzziah, I believe it was, who was good for so long. And then his, his pride lifted him up and he sinned foolishly at the end. So as you read in your Old Testament through Kings and Chronicles, and you read, and you're like, oh, there's a good king. Oh, good, I'm going to enjoy this today. And then you read, oh, this is depressing, there's a bad king. He, he led the people into idolatry. There's many lessons for us to learn for our own obedience to God. But as we read throughout Kings and Chronicles, you know what we should do? We should say, oh, but I know the right king, right? I know the true king. I know the perfect king. And I want to be ruled over by King Jesus. So the people of God, they are ruled over in their hearts by Christ, this king who is the greater David, who fulfills the prophecy. And guess what? In our text it says that that of his kingdom... There will be no end. So there you have it, as I alluded to. Of this kingdom, there's staying power. There's staying power. There's endurance. We love our nation, don't we? This is, this is holiday independence weekend. We, we love our nation, and rightfully so. Brothers and sisters, our nation's going to have an expiration date. And, the, and I don't say that glibly at all. I want it to go as well as it can for as long as it can. But look back through history. I mean, even in, the, in biblical history, the Babylonian Empire, man, that thing was impressive. It was intimidating. And it crumbled and fell. The Medo-Persian Empire was impressive. And it, it crumbled and it fell. They say the, the big statement, you know, a few centuries ago was the sun never sets on the British Empire. Well, I think it does now, right? Right? And we can see our own nation, the big superpower, losing its steam, as it were. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know this, that we should be more impressed by this kingdom that will never end. And we should give ourselves to this kingdom that will never end. And we should be comforted and have great hope by the reality this kingdom will never end. That even if it means persecution and even if it means harder times for us, that if I am in the king and and Christ has conquered me by his grace, that I am part of something that will never crumble and fall. And it's not just a good kingdom, it's the perfect kingdom, it's the blessed kingdom that God has given to us. So what a glorious comfort that is to know that we as the people of God, as believers in Christ, belong to a kingdom That will never fail, praise the Lord. And it's not because we're so great. It's because the Lord is so great who sustains his own kingdom. Let's look at a couple of the passages in Luke that help us think through um, some bullet points about the kingdom of God. Look in Luke 16. In Luke 16. Because as you read Luke's gospel and other of the gospels, you you find so much said about the kingdom of God. So I hope that, that this is helpful even in your reading as you read through the gospels and hopefully give some understanding. Jesus says some key words in, John, in Luke 16, verse 16. He says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. So the kingdom of God was something that, that the, the people of Israel were looking for. They were longing for the kingdom. And they thought, many of them thought, this would mean, all right, we're going we're gonna, to, like in David's day, we're going to conquer all of our enemies, so Rome is going to get kicked out of town. The economy is going to rebound, and the glory, the, the um, political, earthly, carnal glory, if you will, will return. So many of them longed for that kingdom, and when they saw that Jesus could, man, this guy can heal the sick, and he can feed 5,000, let's make him king. You know, free food, good economy, let's make him king. But they really didn't want, many of them didn't want him to rule in their hearts. 
So they were longing for this kingdom. Well, Jesus says, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. Well, why is it preached? Because it's here. Because it's here. John's message was, repent, for the the kingdom of heaven is is at hand. It's, It's right here. Jesus himself preached the same. The kingdom of God is right here. So what he's saying here, there was a massive shift that took place when Jesus came. A massive shift. The Old Testament law, the Old Testament order of things, it was until John and then a transition phase was happening, even as Jesus was, was, was on the earth, because the king was here, meaning the kingdom had been inaugurated. The kingdom had been inaugurated. Let's look at a couple of other passages. One in Luke 11. In Luke 11. This is when Jesus was casting out demons and his uh, opponents were accusing him of doing it through the power of Satan. And I won't read that whole exchange, but just pick up Jesus' words in verse 19. He says, And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, get this, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. Then look in Luke 17, chapter 17. Jesus says, again, to some of his opponents in verse 20, Luke 17, 20, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, meaning with outward show, a bunch of uh, glamour and glitter like they would have expected. Neither shall they say, Lo here, or lo there. For behold, take note, the kingdom of God is within you, meaning among you. What Jesus was saying was the kingdom of God is right here in your very presence because the king is here. The king is here, and you don't even see it. Isn't that astounding? The kingdom was right there in their presence, and they weren't in the kingdom. They were blind. They were hard-hearted. They couldn't see. Jesus said to his opponents in, in chapter 11, Listen, if I by the finger of God am casting out these demons, that is a sign and evidence that the kingdom is here because the king is here. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine? And, and some of them, they got it, right? You remember the words in, in John's gospel when, when they, they say, Hey, we think we found him. We think we found the Messiah. We think this is the one. They go and, and, and they find their brother and, and, and they say, I think this is the one. And they're amazed and they're stunned and they're moved to worship because the one who God had promised throughout all the centuries had now come. David's son, that one that was promised way back in 2 Samuel, that one, the son of David, the Messiah, the king, he's here. So Jesus is saying the king is here because, the kingdom is here because the king is here and that's evidenced by the powerful works that he was doing. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you this, that the king and the kingdom, the king and the kingdom is right here tonight. Because wherever that Jesus is reigning by his grace in the hearts of his people, wherever that his praise sounds forth and his gospel is proclaimed and his word is treasured, the kingdom is there. The kingdom is there. You have like we have at home, you don't have a super, the superstar church of Tippa County, right? <laughs> don't, despise, don't despise the kingdom of God, right? 
Don't despise the kingdom of God. You might be a young believer, and you might say, I don't know as much as Brother So-and-so knows, and I need to know more of the Bible. I guess I'm just not that important. I guess what I do doesn't really matter. Don't despise the king and the kingdom, right? You, each of us individually, no matter where that we are in our walk with Christ, each of us who know Christ are servants in the kingdom and should labor to know the king and serve the king and be ruled over more perfectly by the king. And as we do that, you know what happens? We extend the influence of the kingdom of God. The more that I am yielded to the king in my life, the more that you're yielded to the king in your life, the more the influence of the kingdom is extended and, sp- and spread. Isn't that beautiful? So wherever the, wherever the king is ruling in the hearts of people, the kingdom of God is there because the king is there. Now let me share this with you. This is a beautiful thought that Luke's gospel brings out, that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated but it has not yet been consummated. Another way to say that, and this is not original with me, is that the kingdom of God is both already and not yet at the same time. And I'm not talking out of both sides of my mouth. That's just how the gospel presents it. It's both already and it's not yet. It's both inaugurated, which is happy news. The kingdom has been established, but the fullness of it has not yet been realized. So it's obvious the kingdom has been established because of the words that we just read. That he said, look, if I, with my, if I with the finger of God cast out demons, the kingdom has come upon you. The kingdom is right here in your midst. And yet we read Jesus teaching us how to pray in chapter 11. I won't turn there now. And What does he tell us to pray? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And what's the first thing he says after that? Thy kingdom come. God, we want to see more of your reign. We want to see more of your glory. We want to see the cause of Christ extend and spread. And I believe that prayer is we want to see the kingdom spread and extend now with a view to when we will fully see the fullness of it in glory. But also notice Jesus' words in chapter 22 when he's taking the Lord's Supper, that first supper with his disciples And notice what Jesus says, and I love these words. In Luke 22, verse 18, we'll start start in verse 16. He's speaking of of eating with them, and he says, For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. You say, well, Jesus, what do you mean? You've already said it's here. And now you're telling us you won't drink any more of this fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. I think that's what we have. The kingdom is already, and it's not yet. The kingdom has been inaugurated, but it has not yet been consummated. My brothers and sisters, when our Lord appears the final time, when our Lord appears the final time in all of his glory, and when the dead are raised up from the grave, And when the nations are judged by the king, and when this world is burned up forever, and the new heavens and new earth wherein righteousness will dwell are brought forth, we will have, we will have then the fullness of the kingdom of God. The fullness of the kingdom. And guess what? Whether this is symbolic or literal, we're going to feast with Jesus. When he says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine, this celebratory language, 
The idea is not that in the kingdom of God, Jesus is going to be way over there and says, y'all leave me alone, I've done enough for you. Jesus is going to say, come, eat with me, partake with me, rejoice with me, celebrate with me, delight with me. Oh, isn't that a wonderful prospect? In a world of chaos and in a world of hopelessness, it seems often, in a world of corruption and evil, that the hope of the believer is that the kingdom of God will come and be consummated in all of its fullness. This is a, a golden nugget I'd never seen before until I studied this in Luke, is this part of, of what we're just talking about. When Jesus, there's many reasons Jesus did the miracles and the healings. And go to Luke chapter 9. In Luke 9. There's many reasons that Jesus did the miracles and the healings, but I think there's a connection here. I know there's a connection here with the kingdom. So in Luke 9, verse 1, it says, he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them, get this, to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. What's the connection? I believe, brothers and sisters, this is not original with we, but it, it seems to fit what the scripture is saying. And with the passage we read, that if I cast out the demons with the finger of God, the kingdom, devils with the kingdom of God, the kingdoms come upon you. I've given you power over diseases, over evil spirits. Go preach the kingdom and heal the sick. What do we have there? I think what we have is this, that in those miracles that the Lord gave them for that time, power and authority to perform. What was happening? He's connecting it with the kingdom of God. I believe what's happening is this, is that those healings and those casting out of evil spirits are an appetizer. They're a foretaste of what it will be like when the kingdom of God will fully be realized. When the kingdom of God is fully, because all these folks died again, right? All the ones that got healed, they eventually died. But he's giving us a little, a little appetizer, a little foretaste of when the kingdom of God is fully realized, brothers and sisters. Oh, there will be no more death. There will be no more cancer to ravage bodies. There will be no more influence of darkness to be dealt with. All, all of the enemies of Christ will be fully and finally put away forever. I'm not good at alliteration, but I like that one, all right? They'll be fully and finally put away forever. I like that. That means complete, total conquering of all of his enemies. I told this to the, my class at camp, I think it was. You know, you watch a movie sometimes and you, you start and there's a, there's a villain and there's a good guy and... And there's danger, and it gets resolved in the first 15 minutes. You're like, this can't, this can't be it. This movie's an hour and a half long. There's got to be some more bad that comes, right? So you're just kind of waiting. You're waiting. You're lurking. Now, the bad guys, something bad's going to happen. I know it'll happen. This can't be, you know, this, this calm for the rest of the movie. And then, sure enough, there's danger that comes again. When the kingdom of God has fully come, there will be no more evil lurking. There won't be one more threat. There will be not one more threat to the people of God. Not one more battle to be fought. Not one more temptation to be resisted. Not one more sinister, evil scheme of Satan to steal and to kill and to destroy. Why? Because all the enemies of God will be put down forever. Oh, listen, the kingdom's going to come, right? Hallelujah. It's here, and it's not yet. It's inaugurated, but it's not yet consummated. And that's the great hope. That, that's the hope that sustains the people of God to persevere, to be steadfast, to endure. Because we're looking for the kingdom that will come. The kingdom that will come. Well... What else can we see about the kingdom of God? We just see that Jesus told his disciples to go and preach the kingdom 
And sometimes I'll read things like that. It's like, well, what were they preaching? But verse 6 helps. It says they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. What's the point? The point is that the kingdom of God is advanced through the word of God. The kingdom of God is advanced through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in Luke chapter 4, Jesus' words himself. After he had just healed many, and they looked for him to come heal some more, but he wouldn't do it because he said, I have a more pressing mission, essentially. Luke 4.42, when it was day, he departed and went to a desert place, and the people sought him and came to him and stayed him that he should not depart from them. And he said to them, I, what's the word? I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. All right, church folks in the pews, get this. Believe it or not, preaching is not the invention of preachers, <laughs> right? God has established it, right? God has established that his word be proclaimed not only to the unbeliever, but of course in the house of God. And how is the kingdom extended? As the spirit of God blesses the word of God to conquer hearts of unbelievers and to rule and reign more perfectly over our own hearts. So when you come to the house of God, it's kingdom business, right? It's kingdom business. You're coming to learn more about your king, so you can better worship him and praise him and know him. And you're coming to see, how, how does the king intend to rule over me? And listen, let me just say again, it's a great thing to be ruled by King Jesus. It's a great thing. So the kingdom is extended through the gospel. Now, let's go back to Luke chapter 11. My son Andrew asked me on the way here where we're going to be in Luke tonight, and I said we're going to be all over the place in Luke, and you can find that we are. That's what happens with a, a theme sermon, but at least we're staying in the same book. In Luke chapter 11, we just referred to this when Jesus, with the model prayer, the prayer was, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So the king's disciples, the king's subjects, the citizens of the kingdom are called to pray, but also to live a kingdom agenda. To pray for and to live out a kingdom agenda. Let's get really practical, okay? Really practical. Here's where the battle lies every day in our hearts. Thy kingdom come or my kingdom come. <laughs> Thy will be done but sometimes a little bit stronger in here, it's my will be done. My will be done. You see, the problem is, is we're born into this world, we're born into this world living as if we're kings <laughs> and wanting the whole world to revolve around us. And you know, if you can, you probably like me can identify with this. You know, if, if my day goes well, everything goes my way, people serve me, I get all the things I want, I'm a pretty nice guy to be around. You know what? <laughs> See me on one of those days. But the test comes, right, when it ain't going my way. And who am I going to yield to then, right? Young people, young people, I know that, that, you know, growing up you think, well, this is what I want my life to be like. And it's, there's appropriate to plan and to think. But your life is not about you, ultimately. And that's true for all of us, young or old. Our life is not ultimately about us. The king has not conquered us and brought us into his kingdom so that we would live for ourselves. In fact, you know that's one of the demonstrations of Christ's love? 2 Corinthians 5 says, The love of Christ constrains me 
He died for me so I would no longer live for myself, but for him is what Paul said. See, the king has so loved us that he saves us from what destroys us. If we go through life living for ourselves, living as if my agenda is what matters most, all the, we're, we're not honoring our Lord, number one, but then we're just beating our head against a brick wall. We're destroying our own selves. It's the love of Christ that has saved us not only from hell and condemnation, but has saved us so that we will live for him and for his glory. So let's get really, really, really practical. In your marriage, who's the king, right? Who's the king? Thy, my, thy kingdom come, Lord, in my attitude toward my spouse, in, in my words that are spoken as parents, whose kingdom agenda really matters. What, 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 do I, what, do I, what values am I placing before my children? Do my children see me as saying, yeah, we love the Lord, we do church, but man, there's a whole lot of other things that really, really grab our attention in our time. Or do our, can our kids see by not only our words but our actions, man, my dad's a kingdom man. My, my mom loves Jesus, and it's about serving him. It's about honoring his word and serving others and blessing. Can I, can I see that by our words, but more importantly by our example? By our example, in all that we do, in the things that we seek, in our attitudes, do we say, Lord, would you rule over me? Would you, would you rule over me through your word and in passages like, like Colossians 3? Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, compassion, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, all those things, putting on love. What does that mean? It means to be ruled by Jesus needs to be ruled by Jesus. So the, king, the people of the kingdom, the people who Christ has conquered to rule over, our calling is to embrace the king's agenda and to give ourselves to it. To give ourselves to it. You know, even in the world, even in the world, in the secular world, people will say something like this often, man, you've got to live for something that's bigger than yourself. Even secular people can have a sense sometimes to see that you got to live for a cause, live for something. And it, it might be the cause of, you know, saving dogs or something from animal cruelty or, or any kind of a cause. It might be the cause of your favorite sports team. But live for something, man. Live for a cause. And sadly, some people are so bad off that they, that doesn't even interest them, man. It's just all about them, obviously. Brothers and sisters, don't just live for something bigger than yourself. Live for this that is bigger than you, right? Live for the king and for the kingdom that's far greater than any other cause and far more valuable than any other cause. Well, Jesus said in Luke 9, he tells us some words that might shock us, that it's supposed to get really, really comprehensive with us. And this challenges us. But Jesus makes it very clear, listen, my kingdom is so valuable and so precious. You've got to be willing to sacrifice whatever I ask you to sacrifice for it. Look in Luke 9, verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. That's a good start, isn't it? He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm all in. I'm going to follow you. And Jesus says, well, do you really know what that means? He says, foxes have holes, birds of, the airs, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Jesus is saying, to follow me might mean an economic disaster for your life. 
Now, that doesn't always mean that, and, and we shouldn't go looking for, for, for poverty as, a, as a, a supposed virtue. But Jesus is saying, I'm a, I'm a penniless man. And if you follow me, the cost may be so great that you might be penniless or something close to it. One of our brothers in Nicaragua <laughs> this week this week lost a job for the second time for kingdom matters. So in this hotel that he works in, they were asking them to sign papers because he says they were, it was corrupt. They're doing funny business. They're to sign papers, basically lying in their papers uh, of this statement that would help them evade some certain portion of taxes. And this has been a good-paying job for this brother. He's been unemployed for a long time. It's been a good-paying job for him. He's able to buy a motorcycle, get it paid off, wanted to save for some land for the future. And, and I asked him, I said, man, what happened? He said, pray. He said, man, I, I gave him my resignation. Now, he's barely hanging on in the transition. So I'm hoping they'll see his value and they'll hang on to him. But for Jesus' sake, he said, I, I can't do that. At his last job, the same, something similar was happening. It was all lies and deception, lying about inventory and Man, you can, you can get some on the side. I can't do that. I have to have integrity. I have to be honest. So the, the kingdom was so valuable to him, and the king was so worthy to be followed, he said, I've got to be willing to take a loss for Jesus' sake, for Jesus' sake. Another one said to him, verse 59, follow, Jesus said to another, follow me. And he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Now, I don't think Jesus here is condemning family funerals. It, it may have been, it, there's different opinions on this passage, but it may have been the idea was the man was saying, my dad's not dead yet, let me wait till after dad dies, and then, then I'll follow you. In other words, I, I'm not against you, Jesus, I'm all for you, and I'll, I'll get around to it. After some key moments in my life happen, I'll get around to it. And Jesus says, listen, let the dead bury their dead, right? You go preach the kingdom of God. You, you put Christ first. You, you show with shoe leather that you intend to follow the king. Another said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said to him, no man having put his hand to the plow, looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Again here, I don't think Jesus is condemning in every case, go and tell your family bye, but he knew that's what this guy needed to hear. Apparently he knew if this guy went back, he would never follow Jesus. He would never follow Jesus. What's the larger point of all of this? Jesus is saying, to follow me may mean you have poverty. And it may mean, and it does mean you can't delay. You can't delay. And it may mean you even have to sacrifice things as valuable as some family attachments to follow me. Now, the application of that may look, it will look different in different cases. But what do we see here? We see to follow the king means business, doesn't it? It means this is more important than anything, than anything. Well, let's close with a couple more. Look in Luke chapter 12. Look in Luke chapter 12. So this kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's a realm of grace. Christ brings his people by his grace into this kingdom as he conquers our hearts. The kingdom is here because the king has come. The, king, the kingdom is inaugurated but not yet consummated. The kingdom advances through the gospel. The king's disciples are called to live a kingdom agenda, be willing to sacrifice for all. But look at what Jesus says now in Luke chapter 12. The kingdom is both given and it's sought after. 
Now, this is a passage that we won't read at all, but you probably have heard it before of, of this uh, Jesus warning those who were being consumed with anxiety about material possessions. And, so, and that was, that was their, the danger was that would, that would be what their whole focus would be upon. So just breaking into the context, Jesus says in verse 29, And seek not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. Of course, he means in measure. Don't be consumed by those things. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you have need of these things. But rather, seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure, get this, to give you the kingdom. To give you the kingdom. I love what Philip Graham Ryken says about this text. He says, the issue is not what we have or what we don't have. The issue is what we're striving after, what we're living for, and therefore what we're anxious about. Jesus says, listen, your father knows what you have need of. So he's not condemning planning or working. We know that. It's within understanding you know, the context of what Jesus is saying. Your father knows what you have need of. So you seek first. Matthew would say, you seek first the kingdom of God and all that you need, all these things will be added to you. And don't be afraid, little flock. Look at how you're loved. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Those are some precious words. It's not that your father is grudgingly giving you the kingdom or of compulsion, of compulsion giving you the kingdom. It's your father's joy. It's his delight to give you the most precious possession you could have, which is the kingdom of God. So he's given you salvation to bring you in the kingdom. He's given you the blessings of the kingdom now. He's going to give you the kingdom consummated one day. So if he so loves you and he so cares for you, don't be overly worried. Don't be overly preoccupied with your material things. Seek the kingdom of God first. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You know, we as parents, we love to give our children gifts, don't we? Look, is, is he, he going to smile? We, we take videos of, of Christmas present openings and birthdays. We love to give good gifts to our children. And we're just sinful parents. <laughs> Our Father's good pleasure is to give us a kingdom that will never fade away. So the kingdom is sought and given. Let's, let's think about this in some practical ways, right? If we're really seeking the kingdom in this context, listen, it is a perfectly appropriate and advisable to pray for better gas prices, okay? And I was so happy today. I only paid four twenty. Eight today. I mean, I thought this is sad. I'm happy over 428, but I, I was happy to get 428. And it's perfectly appropriate to you got to think and budget about inflation. It's like, all right, how are we going to pull this off? But brothers and sisters, are we more anxious about that and not very concerned that we abound in fruitfulness in our lives to God's glory? <laughs> it's perfectly right to pray for the next election cycle that comes around. And it's advisable, and I think it can be even kingdom work to labor for a better uh, situation in our land. But do we have a concern for the spread of the gospel? Do we have a concern for the maturity, the spiritual maturity of our own souls and of our own church? You see, that's, I think that's good application of what Jesus is saying here. 
Listen, don't be overly consumed by these things. Seek kingdom business first because your father's going to take care of you. Are we more concerned with a fragile economy than we are with a lukewarm love for Jesus in our hearts? You know, you can tell what's valuable to people by what they get mad about, right? What they get mad about. And I get there's some righteous indignation. that, that, that is, There's plenty of good righteous indignation to go around in our world. But listen, like I said earlier, it's, it's right, it's Independence Weekend, it's right that we pray for our nation and all the rest. But is it the desire of our hearts that the kingdom would prosper? That the king would be worshipped? That the king would be praised? That the influence of the kingdom would extend in our own hearts and beyond? So I'm not pitting good citizenship against, uh, of the earthly citizenship against good heavenly citizenship. They really go together well. They go together well. But listen, let's get our, make sure our priority is right. Let's make sure our emphasis is right. That our Father has given us a kingdom that will never fade away. And so may we live for and treasure that kingdom above all else. Let us seek to serve in that kingdom. Let us seek to serve in that kingdom. Listen, there's no, there's, there's, there's no act of obedience too small that the king won't notice. Later in, Luke, later in Luke, Jesus watches all the rich guys throw in their gifts into the treasury. And then he said, hey, look at that widow. I mean, she gave, we'll call it 50 cents compared to the, those $1,000 gifts. And Jesus noticed it and commended it. Every act of obedience... Every faithful season of prayer, every service to the people of God, every effort to be a light in a dark world is kingdom work, brothers and sisters. But let me close you with this as we think about Rich Lewis. It's a kingdom of tremendous grace. Because at the end of Luke, there was a man hanging on a cross right next to Jesus who'd lived and I think Rich Lewis has lived a better life than this guy, but this guy had lived a wasted life. And then he was convicted of his sins, even in his dying moments, and said, Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? That's kind of audacious, isn't it? <laughs> You've just lived a wasted life, and you're going to talk to the pure and holy Jesus about bringing, going and remembering you? Why should he remember you? But our king, listen, He's holy, he's just, and he's more gracious than we could ever fathom or imagine. And he said to that man, verily, verily, I say unto you today, you'll be with me in paradise. That man on that day saw more of the king and more of the kingdom. Praise be to God for his grace. God bless you.